Before we get started, we want to always start with a prayer. So in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Dear Lord, we ask you to send the Holy Spirit down upon us in our conversation. Help us always lead us back to you in our lives, on our comeback, whenever we struggle, and uh, lead us closer to your heart. And for all this, we ask Our Lady's intercession. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Sebastian, patron saint of Christian athletes. Pray for us. Blessed Carlo Acutis. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, Randy, we have to change the name of our show. It's the Catholic Sportswoman tonight. It Not is the Catholic tonight. Sportsman. <laughs> Rebecca Dassault, thank you for coming. Thank you so much for having me, both of you. It's wonderful to find out about this podcast by getting this great invite, especially at this time when we're all looking at the Olympics. Right, exactly. Right. So to, uh, to before we get started, I want to introduce Rebecca. Uh, she is a daughter of God, most importantly, a wife, mother, Olympian, world champion, fitness coach, motivational speaker, and founder of Fit Catholic Mom, which we're going to discuss more in detail and learn more about today, which we're really excited. And um, so we'll, we'll turn it over to Randy and we'll, we'll get started with the uh, interview. Ooh. Well, with that wonderful introduction paul rebecca please share some background regarding your life's journey yeah thanks i always like to go back to the genesis of all of it uh you know it's it actually has kind of a, a bittersweet start because i came from a broken household and in the case of me and as opposed to my other two siblings that spurred me to find something to to throw myself into something that was healthy, something that was very motivating, very life-giving to me. I needed those sources of encouragement in my life. Um, this was about nine years old that my parents split. And I threw myself headlong into sport, and it was every sport I could get my hands on. I spent many, many days waking up, going to swim team at six o'clock in the morning, swimming for two hours, riding my bike from there to softball practice, riding my bike home to jump on the trampoline and have lunch before I'd go to gymnastics practice and then ride back to the pool for evening swim. And this was good fillers, shall we say. It filled my time very appropriately. It taught me a lot about my body. It taught me a lot about sportsmanship and character building. And I began to see sport as a school of moral excellence, even at a young age. Um, it wasn't until a few years, if you fast forward with me to probably about age 12 or 13, our, our parish priest was an avid sportsman and he would take us on hikes of the many 14,000 foot peaks in Colorado, where I was fourth generation growing up. And he also would take us moonlight skiing and he took us way out into the wilderness. And it's just imprinted in my mind because he took us by light of the moon, maybe 
10, 20 of us parishioners. I don't even remember who else was there. I remember I was there. And uh, he said the mass for us by light of the moon, way out in the snow. And the snow was so deep. And had we stepped off our skis, we would have post holed up to the waist in powder. We kept our skis on and approached him to receive the Eucharist. And so I received the Eucharist on skis at a young age. And I thought, no, I've not done that in the swimming pool. (laughs) And I've not done that on the balance beam. And, you know, so it just, in my mind, thought, wow, God and cross-country skiing really could go together. And uh, all, all told, it just attracted a really healthy audience of families and, and athletes. you got to really like to cross-country ski to do it. No one does it by just default. <laughs> you got to like to yeah. suffer. And um, so sport quickly, you know, from a young age, just became analogous to my spiritual life, my spiritual climb, my spiritual sufferings, the highs and the lows. And um I, I just loved sport. And uh, it wasn't until years later that it began to sort itself out and different sports would fall away. And I finally realized I wasn't going to be an Olympic gymnast. Darn it. I just kept growing taller and taller. And, and then I wasn't going to be an Olympic swimmer because we just didn't have a year round program and you can't develop in three months and go swim in the Olympics. And just so many things fell into place. And in God's providence, a three-time Olympian moved to our area And she became my coach in cross-country skiing. And she was also a very strong Christian. So to travel with your coach and to to pray together and and to race and train and be supported in the totality of your person uh, was just the most special thing. So that was where I eventually gravitated. Granted, I was also uh, quite talented from the the get-go. So it just filled my, the hole in my young person heart from um, my family life situation. And uh, God just kept growing that and growing that and kept, kept opening doors and keep, kept blessing my yeses uh, or revealing to me the no's, which happened as well in my career. But yeah, sport has really taken me from uh, just where I was then. And it's still, it's just such a prime driver in my life for sure. Right. And you, you mentioned um, earlier, we, you know, we're in the Olympics, right? And so, so from that, you kind of you know, traveled and did all these competitions and, and reading about your bio, you had mentioned that, yes, you're internationally traveling, right? For these competitions as you grew in the sport and um, excellence, and you were spending a lot of time defending your faith. Um, Can you kind of describe how all that went for you? Absolutely. So I was so unaware of the pipeline of sport. I just was doing so well locally. I just loved what I was experiencing. And someone said, you know, you can go race around all of Colorado. It's like, what? (laughs) Um, My mom and I kind of thought, hmm. And then we heard if you win the biggest Colorado race, they send you to nationals. And um, I went and won in Colorado. They paid for me to go to nationals, which was really my only way to get there. My mom was a single mother at this point, raising three children working two jobs and going to college full-time to be the first college graduate. And I thought, okay, so I can win, but I really can't get second because if I get second, we can't afford for me to go. So, (laughs) so I won and I went and competed in Maine and it was at the national level. My first dip into the national level that I won there as well. And it was so klutzy. I look back and I, uh, I didn't even know that all the techniques fluently, 
there's I look back and I realize we need to be able to skate ski to the right or v1 to the right and the left I only knew how to v1 to the right so part of the course I was pulling myself like against <laughs> with the gravitational pull of the slope the wrong way anyway I look back and I just laugh that we can be so naive or not naive but just so innocent in our approach with sport and not have it all figured out but that it, it teaches us so many things but I won and uh, that fired me up. I realized if I won at nationals, they'd pay for me to go to worlds. But again, I couldn't be second at nationals. You had to win. Oh, wow. So no pressure. <laughs> oh, gee, I know what I'm going to do. Win and or go home. huh? Win or go home, go big or go home. That was, oh. that was it. So I won at nationals and that sent me to Switzerland for the first time as a 17 year old. And it just grew from there. The opportunities grew. A lot of those opportunities were directly related to results. This wasn't just, I can be a sport. Um, I can take part because we have the money to, it wasn't anything like that. It was, I can take part because I keep winning my way to the free ticket. Um, so it was very motivational for me and just things came together, uh, all the way around and began traveling. Like I said, at 17, went to world championships at 17, 18, 19, uh, at 19, I got married. I got married. I married my childhood sweetheart. I'd been uh, uh, eyeing this boy since I was 11. Yeah. And I started homeschooling with his family when I was 13. We had we were from the same parish. And I just loved that they were going to homeschool and get a uniquely Catholic education and be able to travel to World Youth Day and learn what they wanted and just so many things. And I thought, that is for me. Well, God knew that that would that would dovetail well with being an international ski racer because there were just times I needed to leave a few school books at home and go ski race. And then, you know, you'd find me in June, ugh, finishing Saxon math. Um, but all that said is, yeah, it, it really just culminated in more and more world championships. And then in 19, age 19, representing the U S at senior world championships and also winning my first senior national title at that time, which effectively made me the fastest of the ski racers in the US. But wow. simultaneously, there was this war going on in my soul. And it was, you might win a gold medal, but you will lose your soul in the process. Wow. How can I have this as my aim and achievement if I have all these pressures which are derailing me? And when I first went to Europe, I didn't know how to advocate for myself and be like, I need to go to mass on Sunday. Yeah, I know we need to race on Sunday, but I need to, someone needs to drive me in the team van to the church Saturday night. And I cowered and I didn't know how to defend myself in that way. And I never did that again in subsequent years because it was so wrong and it was so against everything I was there to represent, right? My country, my faith, my family. And I was like, part of me just died to come over here and ski race. So I just made sure to get, uh, get right with all of that. And that included a lot of sacrifice. I was just recounting on a call this morning for women I coach that at some point I would have to walk myself into the town because I could see the Catholic church steeple in these small European towns or Scandinavian, wherever, wherever we were, you could still find the Catholic church just even visually. I didn't have a smartphone or anything. Right. I would just hop it into town and uh, go to that Saturday evening mass and, and miss the team meal before a world championship event. And my teammates thought I was crazy. My coaches thought I was crazy. There's Rebecca in her long woolen skirt, <laughs> marching off to the market to buy some meat and bread and go to mass. All right. I'm like, yeah, going to the team meal. Why? <laughs> See you later. <laughs> um, and then I'd come and, and beat them all the next day. So <laughs> it's all just, right. <laughs> it, was, 
God's way, way to go. humoring me with, you're going to make this sacrifice, but I'm going to make this sacrifice worth it mm-hmm. for you. And that just continued to be the case, of course, the culmination being the Olympics. But I retired at 19. You're getting the long-winded version. So just That's okay. That's why we're here. thumbs <laughs> <laughs> down if I go too long. Um, and so I retired at 19. I just said, there's got to be something else. God is laying on my heart that I am not perfectly in line with his will for me. And we were, of course, married in November. I ski raced that winter. And I had all this pressure to apply for colleges. I had free ride scholarships to, I don't know how many schools contacted me, begging me to ski for them. None of it felt right. None of it lined up with the momentum of my new marriage and my spirituality and everything. I just thought, no, I'm not going to go ski for a university on the East coast. Mm-hmm. I'm a mountains girl. I live in the West. Um, my husband's family, which was my new family, they had, uh, his father died when we were both 18. So he's newly the head of the household in a sort of way. Um, oh, de facto, wow. like just, uh, he's got five younger siblings at home. And two of them are twins that are age eight. And one is a severely handicapped individual that we are oh, still wow. diapering at every meal, spoon feeding every meal, transporting through, you know, wheelchair. And so just leaving, leaving mom was not really an option. It, we didn't want to. Um, and so we just discerned, hey, we need to stay around here. We need to be true to this calling as well and balance that with, with, with these other things. So... I'm going to fast forward. I leave ski racing. We have our son, Tabor Charbel, um, just right at our second year anniversary and so blessed in my motherhood, just loving it. And I just start skiing again to get fit and I'm carrying him in the front pack and he gets to do that <laughs> and I throw him in the backpack. And the next winter after I had him, um, all of the Western collegiate teams came to Crested Butte where I lived and race. And it was all the universities and everyone from Fairbanks down to New Mexico. I thought, wow, they have an open division. I can enter this race. And at the time, what am I? 20 must be 23, 22. I was maybe 22. And I thought, well, I'll just go mix it up with the college girls and see what (laughs) my uh, backtrack backpack with baby training can do. And I got in that race and I raced with a gear. I didn't know I had, I truly didn't have the fitness of these girls. I raced against the uh, who would become my nemesis, a, a two-time Olympian from Estonia, Katrin Smegen, and I raced her and I won. And I, I won the race and it was like, oh, whoa. wow. She went on to win NCAA clean sweep of all the NCAA races that year. And my husband just like, Rebecca, we got issues. You have a talent you're not using for the yeah. Lord. And we need to pray about this. And we might need to go for sport again and I was like you want me you race you (laughs) you do the racing I know what that scene is um but God just was really instrumental and gracefully re-entering us I had to call all my sponsors again and say you get me you get three we're traveling (laughs) with a family we're going to be the domestic church on the road oh and by the way we do natural family planning so should we conceive not that we're planning on it but uh just so you know we would yield to life and and um despite our great commitments to you, to, to the Olympics, everything. I just want to be really transparent with you. Um, anyway, just, just chances to witness, you know, to be truly yeah. who I am. And yeah, ultimately it was our family journey to the Olympics. And my son and husband traveled with me for two and a half years, everywhere in the world, year round wow. for the oh. training and racing in the camps. And so it was That's fun. great. Fantastic. And, and, what were some of the great memories you had on those trips and 
being part of the Olympics or these world championships? And... Yeah, there's so many, but I guess if I could unpack a few, uh, we spent a month in New Zealand in August skiing all the oh. time. And it was amazing because we'd go up high in the mountains and ski and stay at what's called the snow farm, aptly named. And then we could drive down into Wanaka where it was green grass and you could golf or trail run or whatever. And it was beautiful to be up there for that month as a family. And I have some of the best video footage of my young son learning to ski and just cracking up and loving it and uh, squatting down and we'd send him down the classic track and he could travel like two kilometers just in this little tight ball of a squat. And he, we have the funniest videos. We're skiing alongside him and he just is like, yeah. <laughs> he thinks that's all fun and games. And um, so, you know, something like that, certainly, I mean, fast forward into the Olympics, amazing, amazing um, opportunity surrounding that. We spent the next week after that in Rome at the invite of Blessed Pierre Giorgio's niece, Wanda Gavranska. She said, come stay at my, oh. stay in my in my loft in Rome for a week. Let's let's do things. And so wow. Wanda pulling up at a, as a 70 year old, like going 70 on her moped, you know, <laughs> all but skids into the pizza joint and just, just getting to know people that, you know, I really felt like I had dual purpose at the Olympics, that of representing my nation, but of also spreading devotion to blessed Frasati and to get that intimate time with his family members and just the inside look into, into his life was uh it put it put the oh. ice on the olympics so really oh. blessed in that way just to have been vocal about that the italian media of course love that who's this american born skier that's praying to a turin born saint who was a cross-country skier or he's not a saint he's a blessed but you get the gist anyway uh they they ran with that so it was pretty fun to just be there where he was from torino the olympics were in torino Died at 24. I was 24 when I found out about him and total tangent story, but it's worth telling. Oh, sure. My gold Olympic ring uh, stamped with the word blessed Frasati. We could have however many characters that was. I could have put do so, you know, I could have put me on there. Anyway, I put blessed Frasati. I'm like, no one's Olympic ring is going to say, hey, it's not going to say cross country. Uh, Because so few people do that. And and then it's going to say blessed Frasati. And Last year, I got a call from someone. He says, hi, I'm a, uh, I'm a jewel, jewelry dealer over in Montana. And I have an item here, which I think belongs to you. It's a, a gold ring and it says 2006 Olympics. And it has a, vi- a little picture of a cross country skier. And it says, blessed Frasati. Um, it was found in a car that was just about to be wrecked in a junkyard. Whoa. And um, I would like to know if you would like to buy that back from me. <sighs> oh, wow. My, my, my heart falls into the pit of my stomach. And I said, hold up a minute, go back to the beginning of that. You have my ring. You have my ring. That ring represents 10,000 hours of blood, sweat, and tears. It represents <laughs> my training. It represents my faith. It represents everything I have become as a woman. <laughs> I was like, so send it to me. <laughs> I'm not buying my ring back from you, but so it was a little bit frustrating, but blessed for Saudi through his intercession, saved oh. this ring, which would forever be wrecked in a vehicle. And who knows where Helena, Montana. Yeah. I don't know. So yeah, it had been stolen in a, someone raided our, our fifth wheel camper years ago and ransacked it and stole our mountain bikes, stole our business files, stole our gold coins, our silver coins. And they stole my Olympic ring. And I didn't know that because I don't wear it all the time, obviously. Um, 
but it made it its way back to me. So that, bless that, Thank you. <laughs> that's a great story. <laughs> that's a great story. Oh, so weird. <laughs> phone call ever. <laughs> what a blessing. Mm -hmm. Totally. Well, it's been so, an important piece as I've gone around to talk throughout the nation. And when you can go and speak with youth groups and you say, here's my Olympic ring that says blessed for Saudi. Like this is my patron saint. You all need a patron saint and you're all athletic at whatever, whatever you do. You don't have to be, a, you know, ashamed if it's not sport. What if it's music? What if it's service? What if it's with the intelligence of your mind? You're an athlete for Christ. Absolutely. You don't have a choice. We have to become victorious athletes of the spirit. Most definitely as were the saints, but to show them, I have a relic of blessed Frasati and then my Olympic ring and just kind of drive it home for the youth. And so I thought, gosh, that would have been hard to someday realize that was missing and go, why, what a negligent person. How could I lose my <laughs> Olympic ring? But yeah, what, a, what a great example for young people. And he loved the outdoors and oh, just uh, amazing. Mm -hmm. So I loved in your bio how you, you talk about that race where you were like a, a caged tiger and you came out and you won that race against us collegians. How do you encourage people in your training to make their comeback, right? Depending, no matter their age or whatever their background is, because you're an elite athlete, so it's a little intimidating, but how would you motivate some people? And yeah, first off, I, I, I dumbed down their version of me. <laughs> some women I train <clears throat> surely come to me from a place of motivation. Like, you're going to want me to do something I can't do. You're going to have these expectations that my starting level is somewhere that it's not. None of that is true. And so becoming really human with them is a great place. And I this is a um, an example specific to women, but just say, hey, you know, my body gains 48 pounds when it's pregnant too, you know, and I've had seven pregnancies. That means I've had to have seven, come, <clears throat> seven comebacks, seven times I have had to be able to build back into a good and healthy homeostasis. And I've had to accept also that that changes over time, you know, having multiple babies, becoming a 41 year old woman, there's always a new normal, a beautiful new normal, but let, let's realize all of us can do so much. We can do something from where we're at, no matter what it is. So really just making it bite-sized and approachable. I think a lot of people want to make changes, never mind full-on comebacks, but they want to make changes and they just pick changes that aren't smart. They try to go, I'm not doing anything. I'm overweight. I'm sedentary. I'm hooked on diet Coke. Um, I'm going to go to all the 6 a.m. classes at the gym this week. I'm also going on the celery diet and, um, you know, like, no, you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> Because then you can just flog yourself with failure in a few days because you're not even going to make it a week. I wouldn't make it a week. Just helping people kind of reverse engineer their goals and say, well, what's realistic to you? How old are you? How many children do you have? How is your current health? And just making it so approachable because to see progress, they have to love the process and just assuring them that there is method that we can love and that we can be attracted to and we can... Um, change a lot of micro habits at once that really add up to, to, to lifestyle and fullness of health. So it's, it's so fun. It's this work is, it's kind of my guilty pleasure, but I think if I can heal one more Catholic woman, she'll affect her family and her family will affect the parish and she'll affect the world. And so like I got the nucleus, you know, uh, the heart of the home and just convicting people, you know, you, you 
pick up right where you're at. So you've got a knee injury. Great. There's 3000 ways to exercise lying on your back. You know, so you got an arm that doesn't work anymore. Okay. Well then here's these other, you know, 2000 options. So just opening up people's, um, I mean, they need their ability box packed is one thing. We just need to give them a new ability box, even if there's a disability. Uh, focusing in that area is never going to give them the physical freedom that they so desire, but it's like, okay, you can't go left. Well then go right. Um, go right. Yeah. All your, all you can. You describe yourself as self-coached. How did you make this, this decision and how does it work? <laughs> how does it work? <laughs> um, so self-coached was really interesting. I don't know anyone else necessarily who went to the level that I did well, really in anything that was self-coached. And this kind of just was an organic development of, of where I was as a person. As I described, we were not ready to leave mom and the kids at home and the business that he also, my husband also had to step into right away upon his father's untimely death. Uh, my husband was you know, 18. We were young. We needed to uh, not just gallivant around, but we were already pretty serious individuals. We, the faith had matured us beyond our years, honestly. Um, and it just, it became where I realized I, I wasn't going to go to the coaches and I didn't have the resources to bring the coaches to me. So it became this game of, well, how much can I glean by observation of other athletes and other programs and other, other things. And it wasn't that I never had a coach, but all through my senior years, I just really grabbed the gist of what it took to be great. And I did as, as best I could with that. Granted, when it all shakes out, most uh, female cross-country skiers at the height of, of their career are training upwards of 900 hours a year. Wow. My big years were 425. So <laughs> I, early in my more real retirement, not my baby breaks, but my more real retirement thought, wow, I could live with a lot of regret thinking I didn't really pour myself in as much as I could. I really didn't push the gas pedal as hard as I, as I should have, but it really wasn't about that. I, yeah, I would have loved to be an Olympic champion or whatever, but I was a mother too. And I wanted to do both and do them both really well and mm -hmm. be true to my vocation. And that was honestly the biggest, the biggest discernment piece for us in rejoining sport was, okay, we've decided to get married. We've decided to begin our family and how can we postpone this in good conscience and um, yeah, not just live a selfishness that I could see pervading all other uh, elite athletes that I was constantly around. So, so self-coached kind of insulated me from some of the pressures. I wasn't having to keep up with a team or the constant daily demands of a coach and their just their oversight, be it for good or for ill. Um, I'd had really rocky coach athlete relationships where I was very pressed on my Catholicism specifically. Um, mm. Yeah, being teased about my gold unblossomed chastity ring that I would wear throughout my teenage years before <laughs> marriage. Um, being told I only wanted to marry so I could have sex because I wouldn't do that any other way. And you know, it just just the, the mess of pressures on a young person. Mm -hmm. So self-coaching was a way to steer clear of some garbage, some moral or immoral, shall we say, um, stuff standing in my way to, to my climb through sport. So um, pragmatically speaking, uh, my mom, was one of my prime training partners. She's 60 years old. I would fly in and out of Denver a lot 
to go and train around the world. And I'd stay at her mom's home. And my grandma at the time, she was approaching 70. She would be doing just workouts, tricep push-ups. She'd run with me to the gym. And I was like, I just want to be you when I'm this age, grandma. (laughs) My mom is a 60-year-old woman just to celebrate this 60th year of life and really a recovery for her from rheumatoid arthritis and fibromyalgia, which plagued her for a while about 10 years ago. She just this year did six incredible epic feats physically, races, like 50-mile mountain bike races over 10,000 feet of elevation the whole way. Uh, Just things that 60-year-old women aren't really trying to do anymore. And yeah, she just, she doesn't put down the torch. She's going to keep doing what she can do. And it's beautiful. So those are the women that I thought, you know, I may not have a coach, but I have a mom who's training with their mom for the Olympics. I am uh, pretty cool. And she's, you know, able to still keep up with grandbabies and all sorts of stuff. So for me, it was just always a bigger picture. I had that 30,000 foot view of life and purpose and my passions needed to fall within that and to stay healthy and to stay balanced. And so it was kind of fun. I will just lastly say what the other women must have thought. It's like, okay, we're out here warming up. We've got a national championship race. Oh, there's Rebecca breastfeeding in her band. She'll be out when she's out. Oh, shoot. She's going to kick our butts. You know, just, and that was the truth. I'd have to forsake some really convenient things like a really good warm up or really switching out that last minute pair of skis for better wax or whatever. And I had a baby to nurse, you know, I had a baby to change. I had, I was a mom and um, it was a lot of red tape because people didn't understand that. How do you be, how do you be an elite athlete and a mother at the same time? It'd be one thing if you were an elite athlete, but you were a father, you know, mm. props to you, mm. but how do you do that as a mother? And right. it was really not understood on the world cup scene. It was really not understood on the Olympic scene. And I'd like to think that I definitely helped pioneer some, some new healthy space for mother athletes, because probably maybe three, four years after I retired, four top women in the world decided to take a baby break and have a baby, but they all also announced that we'll be back to compete. And so I always say now, where, whereas for us, it was red tape, like serious amounts of red tape. We had to cut to do anything to go anywhere as a family couldn't stay in the Olympic village, had to rent our own vehicle so that we couldn't travel with the team. Just so many things, red tape. That's just, I'll summarize it with red tape, which turned into red carpet. Come on back, ladies. Here's your nursery. Here's your da-da-da-da, da-da-da. Just all these accommodations, uh, which were not there, which I'm grateful for, for these women. But what a maturation. What what an awakening of an entire world scene going, you know what? Yeah, you're going to have some of the fastest ski racers in the world who are going to choose to be mothers too and not mothers like the european block racers where they have a baby but they don't raise the baby and you uh one of you asked for what were some of my memories and one memory is is um staying with the russian team which we often did Hmm. and finally talking to one of the women and she opened up to me she could speak just enough english and she said basically in so many words i'm so jealous that you get to travel with your baby i have two children at home that i don't see for eight months a year oh wow that's incredible. How sad. At least she has the babies, though, because for a while the Russians were pushing um, women to get pregnant, get the benefit, he, whatever it was, hemoglobin, hematocrit, blood count stuff, and then to abort. And at least they have these babies. But I just can't imagine. I, I say on one hand, I can't imagine having a baby or a child that I only see a few months out of the year. Oh, uh, yeah. I can't imagine sustaining that. And at the other end, at the, on the other hand, I can't imagine 
some of the situations maybe these people come from that I'm not aware of, where sport is truly their ticket out of that life. Um, it, it's providing for their family. It's providing for their parents. It's who knows? You know, mm -hmm. I don't have those similar motivations. I, there, but for the grace of God, go I. Um, have not had those and, and may never have those same motivations. But there's a lot of a lot of complexity. Um, I just feel so blessed that the Lord allowed that I could do both. Um, hopefully not both in a mediocre way, but mediocre way, but <laughs> right. always aiming just above mediocrity, right? <laughs> that's that's right. <laughs> Keep going. But like Keep you said, yeah, you, know, you you had the red tape, but you made the red carpet. That's a that's a beautiful way of saying that. Yeah. Open it for the other women to do that. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. awesome. It's been healthy to see it go that direction for sure. Yeah, right, absolutely. Out of our sport for that. Cool. Well, you are an on fire, devout Catholic woman. So, how does your faith permeate all the aspects of your life um, your marriage, your home life, your friendship, your sports, uh, church ministry? How mm -hmm. do you fit all that in? Mm -hmm. How do I fit all that in? <laughs> because of the Lord. It's because of such a strong uh, grounded truth within myself, really taking everything in light of the spiritual life and, and knowing how, how deep my why is. I often ask women, you know, do you guys miss mass on the weekend? They're like, no, no, we don't ever miss mass. And I say, yeah, you're right. It'd have to be hell and high water and you'd still be treading, you know, you'd still be trying to get there to get to the mass. That's because you have a why. That's because that why drives you to do the right thing and it becomes second nature. You don't have to think about it. You're not trying to convince yourself to go to mass on the weekend. Should I sleep in or should I go to mass? No, you go to mass. Mm -hmm. And um, when you get a why in all these different departments in life, then it becomes so much easier. When your mindset is correct, emotions are just the result of all of that or what comes you know, second to that. So I really go into the mindset of all these things and think, why would I choose the crazy crazy hard route of homeschooling kids. Like, why, why would I do that to myself? <laughs> you know, yeah. I don't have to. Uh, why would I want to? And really have to have a concrete why in that department. And not just a why for the sake of homeschooling, because you can be secular in homeschool, but why as a Catholic woman is this of benefit to my family? So I think just in the greater scheme of things, participating at everything in life in light of how is this sanctifying to me? Because if it's not, in the case of sport, for instance, if that's not sanctifying to me, it is useless movements of the body, fleeting pleasure. In cross-country skiing, one could argue it's not exactly pleasurable, but that aside, <laughs> no. it would be useless if it wasn't somehow conforming me to the heart of Christ, to his mind, um, to his image even. Uh, to the point that we would become attractive Catholics, I think that's a call on all of us. Why? What is an attractive Catholic do think or say well things that are attractive things that are based in truth we need to have the answers in the church we have to reclaim every every single facet of human existence such that when the, someone needs answers about the body we say we have them here in the church mm -hmm. needs answers about uh nutrition we have we have we have the fullness and it has to be developed and it is more and more in this new evangelization being developed uh, being packaged up for the faithful, but there are so many people who uh, I'm kind of going on a tangent, but just who who see the shiny things of the world. Oh, I need to strengthen. I need to stretch. I need to relax. I'll do yoga. That's what my friends. Oh. 
you know? Right. And it's like, no, let's do, let's stretch as a Catholic. Let's do these, these beautiful positions that help align our body and make an offering to the Lord, receive all of it from him and offer it all back to him. Like, how can that not be part of the recipe? Well, if the church doesn't have that built, right? If she doesn't build it, it can't be housed in the people. So we have this huge call just to reclaim and redeem every, everything. I mean, everything is his. So, you know, in my life, that's, that's the way I operate. My businesses look like they're his, my homestead, that must be his. I don't know how anything stays alive out there. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Like how many animals do you have? I don't know. I can't <laughs> that high. Um, but you know, my children, it's, it's, it's a, we strive for ordered beauty and we often end up with a beautiful mess, you know, and that's just the human condition. None of us are perfect. I do have a lot of spinning plates and at the end of the day, just really keep, key up that discernment through prayers. What, what do I need to be doing? What is the fluff? What is the extra? What is the excess that is distracting me from really achieving my goals? And there's always plenty of temptation in those areas, uh, but to, to really try to, yeah, just, cut off the fat that is the world and get to the meat that is the kingdom and try to live in that space. And it's hard. It is hard. Mm -hmm. There's a cross involved. I'm sorry if this is news to any of you, mm. <laughs> there's a cross involved, but don't worry. There's a resurrection. Please tell us about fit Catholic mom. And will you explain the five shifts? A fit Catholic mom is is the brainchild or rather the heart child of me who tries to be a fit Catholic mom. And I really don't think uh, that I should have this just figured out for myself as it became more and more apparent to me after the Olympics and, and a world championship. I mean, we didn't even touch on that. I wasn't taken to the Olympics in 2010, though I qualified. Uh, they didn't want to take that old mother of two who'd retired twice. And so yeah. I got the Knicks from the U.S. ski team based on not the like six pages of objective criteria for qualification, but the little teeny tiny, uh, you know, phrase at the end that says coach's discretion. Ah, that. uh, and that's why the world championship, I knew they were saying things like we're only investing in the younger skiers and they didn't, they didn't love everything about me. Let's be honest. I was this weirdo Catholic. I had all these things that they had to just, you know, accommodate. She has to go to mass. She has to go to confession. She has to pray before she eats. She's got these kids. I mean, <laughs> I was a package, right? Not baggage. I was a package. Um, and so I got the ax on that. And just to quickly touch on that story, I knew I might. So I went to, to Norway and I raced in the winter triathlon world championships and went and, and represented our nation and won that world championship. They it's not an Olympic sport, so you may not have heard of it, but basically on groomed Nordic type, uh, Nordic type trails or cross-country ski type trails, you would run for 5K, bike for 12 kilometers, and then cross-country ski for 10 kilometers. So 5K, 12K, and 10K of racing and those three disciplines. And yes, it's just crazy to travel the world and try to bring a bike and skis and running shoes and <laughs> stuff to wear. And it's a crazy sport, but I was the first non-European ever to win that. And they didn't have the U S national anthem uh, at the time. They didn't have queued it up. I guess they didn't have the CD. I don't know if we had just MP3, whatever, <laughs> whatever, 2010. And I had to belt out the national anthem from the top of that podium. Cause I was like, I didn't come all the way to Europe to win this world championship. Uh -oh. to not hear my U S anthem. So that is wow. awesome. <clears throat> don't mind me. 
<laughs> Can you? Anyway, uh, it was it was wonderful. But that from all of that precipitated the realization that if I was going to be done being an elite athlete at like you know a paid pro athlete, that I was going to kind of go into my retirement, have many more babies, that I was going to somehow give back. And I realized the sector of of society that really need, needed given to was mothers. Mothers. I, I even ask myself the phrase, I say, why the hell of Catholic mothers is failing? Mm -hmm. Because they don't know how to steward. They do, do not know. They get either stuck over here with it's vain, it's vain, vanity, vanity is all is vanity, and, and the flesh availeth nothing. And they get into that camp and they're like, no, just have babies, gain weight, be miserable, have an inflamed body, your endocrine system's crashing. Just that's okay, have babies. And like, they can't get off of that hamster wheel enough to say, I need to take care of myself. You know, I might be 43 with a one-year-old. I have 17 more years of real hands-on, hearts-on raising of a, of a, of a mm. saint. And then helping women break into uh, just different stride, not just the vanity camp. There's all sorts of camps uh, that, that we get ourselves into and we need to get ourselves out of it in a hurry. And to just demonstrate to women that this is doable. It's sustainable. You can do it in ways that are so honoring of, of your time, whether you're a working mom, a homeschooling mom, a mom of one, a mom of 10, just breaking it down for women. And that's what I came to. So I was doing that, but I was doing it for just a select number of athletes who would approach me. I was, did, did no advertising, nothing. I just, people started to know through my public speaking that I was taking athletes and I couldn't do that for very many people at once. It was so hands-on. I thought I need another model. I need to be able to do this uh, from, from anywhere in the world. So I created Fit Catholic Mom, ultimately made my signature offering into an online course that women can take. And so they get me direct mentoring them for eight weeks of comprehensive training in faith, fitness, and food. And at the end of those eight weeks, you're, you're quite the different woman, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. you you have figured out a lot. And the favorite question I have at the end is look at all of this transformation that you've achieved, things you never thought would transform, things you never thought would shift. And let's examine how sustainable that it, this is. And when they say, and I love it and I can sustain it, then you know you've, you've done a great thing for them. But it's so much bigger than for them, right? We don't live for ourselves. We are meant to be poured out. So just it's a way to pour myself out. It's it's selfishly too it's my own accountability i have to keep walking the walk talking the talk and just giving to women so even though i wear the business hat that says fit catholic mom the ministry hat is over top of that who can i serve who can i uh, help into this space which is so redeeming of of our of our vocation so yeah fit catholic mom has different offerings predominantly that intensity course the five week or five week eight week approach and then I do other little sprinkled offerings throughout the year. We'll have a Lenten challenge coming up. Uh, right now, a lot of women are going through Feel Good February. Um, I just do different, different things as the Holy Spirit uh, prompts me and as time and energy allow. But basically guiding everyone uh, who approaches me into a space of greater wholeness and holiness. Holiness being capitalized. Wholeness being appropriate too. But uh, yeah, that's kind of the thrust of Fit Catholic Mom. Uh, you did mention about the five shifts. What are the five shifts? Uh, five shifts would be really distilling it down. It could be a lot of things that need to shift, but I think generally you're talking about things I present in my webinar. And the first one is the church is right. The church is right. When she speaks in the catechism and things like, and says things like she cannot, but encourage the full harmonious development of the human body. Uh, it's not just 
and, and that it's not rightly ordered just because of its strength, agility, and grace. But, uh, you know, there's just so many things. And Pope St. John Paul II, I mean, what a, what a treasure trove of things. I live by his quotes um, when it comes to sport. But the church is right. And she unlocks this for us in her wisdom that we might have right relationship with the flesh. Things like theology of the body. That is not just a human sexuality hmm. uh, teaching. Your human sexuality becomes tainted when you're having your eighth Oreo. You're already telling yourself, <laughs> I am messing up the flesh that has the trajectory of full, total, and vulnerable um, unity with another. Like, but you're, you're starting way back there at the pantry cupboard or at the store even rather to backtrack further. So just uh, the church is right. She has the theology for us. She has the understanding of how to how to be fully alive in the flesh. We just, we have to dig for it a little bit. It's not like everyone's shouting it. Um, some people shout it and it gets really loud, like it gets that loud human sexuality angle, but we, there's a lot of other angles that need developed so that people are healthy when they get to that human sexuality piece. So anyway, I just, I claim the church is right. She always is. She's the fullness. Um, so we got to dig in there and find what are the answers she timelessly has owned and how to develop them for this modern world. The second shift would be transform yourself first. Mm. Uh, a lot of women, I would say, are do what I call uh, wait around to wash the dish, meaning everyone else in their family is getting the slice of the pie. The kids are in, you know, the kids are doing music. The kids are doing sport. The husband has the job. He comes home. He stops by the gym. He's at the weight he wants to be at. He looks great. He feels great. And the woman waits around to wash the dish of life. She does not any longer take her slice of the pie. You're talking to a homesteader. I'm like, I milked the cow, <laughs> five gallons of milk. I made the butter. I, I made the crust by hand. I picked the fruit off the dang tree in the orchard and I baked the pie. Yeah. I'm going to have the first slice, you know, and that's the truth is like, we need to approach it with, it is selfless for us as mothers to take care of ourselves. We're not good at it. But the fallout from that, I mean, show me a woman who doesn't take care of herself. And I'm going to show you a woman in a lot of misery. So we really need to realize what we can do in a very um, sustainable and um, appropriate way to take care of ourselves, to transform ourselves first. We want change in our family. We want our family to be more, you know, better with foods or, or more prayerful or whatever, whatever change. Uh, it starts with us. It absolutely starts with us uh, individually as man or as woman or as mother or father or whatever. So transform yourself first. People have a lot of a lot of oh, hard time with that concept, mm -hmm. um, but it's God's economy that if we drip life into a woman, drip life, that a flood of service comes out. And so when she builds strength and when she builds stamina, it comes out of service. And we don't get to the point where we have resentful martyrs. I've talked to mothers of ten who just don't they have said to me, I don't even want to live anymore. Like that point mm. of beyond fumes. You know, I have nothing mm. else to give because I never ever am dripped into. Um, and that's not what God intends. God doesn't want resentful martyrs. Mm. Uh, martyrdom is, is um, that's a choice. And it's, it's not that we martyr ourselves. You know, yes, mm -hmm. death to self, right? It's the great Christian paradox, death to self. I came that they would have life and have it abundantly. We have to bring these paradoxes to the knife edge and find that holy tension where things in our life aren't in depravity and they aren't in excess 
we have to find our holy tension. So a lot of that comes with working on ourselves. Now the third shift would be, you should worry about how you look. <laughs> what? Like the, it doesn't matter how you look and how you feel it matters, how you act and how you are. Yeah. But, um, to worry enough about how you look says a lot, uh, you know, holiness is odiferous. You can sense holiness in someone. It's attractive. It's, it's sweet. It's, there's this aroma to one's holiness. And yes, a very disfigured and, and unhealthy person can be holy. I am not taking uh, that from, from them. But for the most of us, we are called to follow the trajectory of our soul with participation in the flesh. If we're to keep striving with our soul and not just settle or give up or think we're there or assume, you know, presume that heaven is our... No, I didn't get any printed receipt above my bed this morning that said, good job, Rebecca so You're 98% sanctified. Almost there. You'll be there by June. You know, nothing, nothing like that. So I got to keep grinding. Like, am I 4% of the way there? I don't know. I don't know. I got to keep going. And physically to just head one direction with your body and try to head another direction with your soul is just the epitome of foolishness. We can't, we can't, we have to find food truth, relationship truth, uh, financial truth. Like there's so many spaces to steward truth. Um, some have a more of a capital T than others, but I believe that the body, we do need to worry about how we look. I want people to look at me and say, how does she steward her flesh? Oh, she prays and works out. She turns her workouts into worship and her fitness is her witness oh wow cool i didn't know i have that <laughs> you know yeah. so you do have to worry somewhat in the right way about how you look does it communicate truth because it does that's the first you know reception we have of one another we see one another and we just make these like you know we fire all these synapses of ah that about that person I hope it's truth-based for all of us. Uh, the, the fourth shift is leverage your crew. <clears throat> what does that mean? Well, we all have different looking crews, different size crews. Some of us have babies. Some of us have big kids. Some of us don't have kids. Some of us are not even married. Uh, we got to leverage who is around us and available to us. So it could be at the level of accountability, just pulling in those people that enable your greatness. They don't just uh, enable your weakness or your comfort or your just lower nature who builds you who are the five people you hang around with that you want to be the average of who who can you leverage who are you chasing who who do you need to pull up to because it's not all about you know chasing after something but it's like who's following you so we just need to really leverage what is around all of us god doesn't need us to go to some other foreign country and change vocations and all of that to sanctify us and to work on us he needs us to become wide awake right where we are. So I think leveraging our crew is a big piece of that. I, of course, teach women how to do all of their, all of their training, either from home or at home, and just freeing them of, of models that are other than that. I hated going to the gym, training for the Olympics, and just putting my kid in the Jimmy germ room. It didn't even have a window. It's like, uh, and just the, the, the germ thing I'm going, I'm, I mean, I'm strong. I don't get sick hardly ever, but just felt wrong. Like here, you go in there. I'm going to go to my sweat session. You know, how do you build a, how do you build a bigger vision? How do you say this includes my family? This includes me modeling for them what I'm doing. You know, if I want them to be on their knees before God, but I don't get on my knees before God, that's never going to connect. 
So same thing with fitness. What do we do? How do we communicate truth? And we got to leverage our crew. Everybody has somebody right around them that can help them and can free them up and can maybe even be their last uh, little butt kick out the door. Go, do it, do it. Here, have permission. Go, go on your run. I see you're stressed out. Go. <laughs> and we all need that help. And we may not have identified, hey, that's my teammate, but it is. And lastly, coaching. Hire a coach. I truly believe, you know, as a coach, you've, I've heard the, you know, the phrase or the, the well-known saying that even the best coaches hire coaches. We often need someone who can just hold us to our own unique brilliance or our own greatness. And uh, just to stay on task, say I have something no one else in the world is creating, but if I'm also like stuck in consuming social media or something that's just derailing, it doesn't mean that I hire a coach because they only exclusively know more than me, but I hire a coach who can coach my weaknesses. We all have strengths, but we all have weaknesses too. Gotta love it, you know, that's mm -hmm. the condition. And so onboarding a coach who can really extract your greatness, help you to see what it is, help you to put it into play with great frequency. Um, all of these things are what a coach can do for you. And um, from, a, from having been so self-coached, them. And most of us do that. Uh, you don't always find questioners and you rarely find actual rebels because it is satiating to us to have a, have a method or a system and to, to go into that knowing that, hey, this person says these are the results if I A, B, and C. Okay, just show me A, B, and C. Um, so coaching is just super valuable and it's usually coaching for a time, a season. Uh, for whatever the various things are. Like I said, there's durations to my program. I'm not going to hold you and hold your hand forever, but man, would I love to just give you a hand up and help you help yourself mm -hmm. over an eight week period. So yeah, just coaching and just the aspects of that. Of course, we are so much more than just a body. And um, as so many of these women have tried the gym model, they go in there and they buy the gym membership and they're like, all right, uh, you know, David, David teaches boot camp. It's in the morning. We'll see you back here at 5.30. And the woman's leaving there like, is this what it's going to take to get fit? <laughs> you know, where she's been so desperate. She calls me and she's like, I'm really afraid to get pregnant again. I'm in really bad health. We've already had seven babies. I don't want to, you know, it's like, we got to step outside that model and uh, be able to say, you know what? You need someone who can say, why do you want to be faithful and fit? Like, let's start there. Before you sign up for any hit class boot camp blah blah, blah with johnny who's 20 who's never had a baby right <laughs> why do you want to be faithful and fit and why do you reject living in your personal health and how does this impact everyone in your life and tell me how your faith is going to be so affected by what you do here so once we get all that in place through coaching then that woman can do a lot more than she ever ever thought in her wildest dreams and so it's very freeing we're, we're built for freedom. God intends that we would be free. And this is uh, one of the tickets to it. Yeah, get to the wise. Five, five of 5,000. You want to hear the other? That was good. That was very that inspirational. Was well, thanks a lot, Rebecca. It's just awesome to hear all these um, stories and your, your enthusiasm and excitement. Um, now, if someone's out here listening and they want to get a hold of you, how do they reach out to you? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for asking that. So Fit Catholic Mom, it's pretty easy to remember. 
I'm predominantly on Instagram and Facebook. And for women, if you're a woman, not even necessarily a mother, we have a group Fit Catholic Mom. Uh, that's kind of the insider's look and interaction with me personally. Uh, then we also have my website, fitcatholicmom.com. You can go there. You can certainly, I, I encourage all listeners to go ingest my webinar and go listen to the five shifts and uh, my presentation there. And then if you feel like, gosh, I really think that I would love her to help me, then you can reach out to me for a, an hour coaching call for free. I just want to dig into the details with you, see where you're at help you to uncover what your own unique process is going to look like to get to, to health and holiness. And so that's just um, something I love to do. And so, yeah, fit Catholic mom everywhere. You can type that in. Hopefully you'll just find me. All right. And anything else you want to say to anyone to encourage anyone? Um, my wife says to our trainer, I don't like exercise. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm sure you heard that. But anything else you want to say before we wrap up today? Oh, I had an, uh, an athlete once who came with a shirt says, I love cardio, said no one ever. And I was like, take that off. <laughs> I love cardio, my drug of choice. Um, what would I say? I would say what, you know, I often sign cards to the women who I um, you know, invite into my program with a beautiful welcome package. I begin to call them athlete right away. And one of the things I always write is in him, we live and move and have our being and just, you know, use movement as medicine, uh, use nutrition as medicine, be healed, take up your mat and walk. Yeah. He already says to us, your sins are forgiven, but let him go that extra mile. Let him tell you to take up your mat and walk, stop the paralysis. Uh, let's run to the kingdom. St. Paul would be so impressed. And so I hope to hope to shake that athlete's hand someday. Right. Awesome. That's Thank great. you so much. Well, yeah. Randy, this is a great segue into prayer, right? To wrap up yeah. our beautiful discussion today. All right. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we ask your blessing on Rebecca and her family. We thank you so much for her witness today. We ask your blessing on all the listeners in podcast land that they would hopefully draw closer to you because of today's podcast. We ask all these things to the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks again, Rebecca. Oh, it's been a pleasure you. meeting you. Thank you. You as well. We'll do it again sometime. Okay. Okay. God bless. God bless.